0: So, what are you waiting for? Let's get ready to thrive. All right, everybody, buckle up and get ready for Carrie Scott Garcia. Carrie is such a dynamic speaker. I heard her about four years ago at a conference. And as you will hear in this conversation, I was so mesmerized by the story she was sharing and also her pink outfit. So, you're going to love this conversation. Um, one of the things that Carrie and I share in common is that we are passionate about seeing women experience freedom and I hope you check out um, Carrie's stuff. I hope you check out her website, go to Instagram. I hope you check out Freedom Academy. I'm going to link all of that here um, because she does such great work. Um, I also want to share about my Tangled course because I think there are many things that Carrie does and that I do that are similar. They're not the same but we approach. Um, helping women experience freedom. And so I'm also going to link my Tangled course in the show notes um, for you to check out if that interests you because I think sometimes there is one um, path that really speaks to us um, over another. And so if Carrie's uh, Freedom Academy speaks to you, um, go check that out. Uh, My hope always is that you are going to walk away from this podcast feeling encouraged and equipped but also um, that you will have aha moments with God that God will just somehow drop something into your spirit that says huh like I never thought about it that way or something that will really give you um, just a sense of connecting more deeply with him uh, but also experiencing more freedom and that is what Carrie wants as well. So enjoy this conversation with Carrie Scott-Garcia. Hello and welcome to Ready to Thrive. I am sitting here with the lovely Carrie Scott Garcia. And I'm going to share hello. Um, just a different kind of intro for Carrie. I first came across her um, at a conference called Leading and Loving It. And Carrie was one of the speakers. And I don't remember exactly what she was sharing, except that she told this one story about <laughs> being, a, I think, a teenage girl or a preteen. Going down yep, going I. down a water slide in a bathing suit. And I just remember thinking, I never want this story to end. It was so entertaining <laughs> the way she shared it. She really stood out to me and just has such a... I'm sure it was also probably like a pink um, mm-hmm. pantsuit
1: outfit. Suit. Yes. There was mm-hmm. a lot of things that were very memorable. Uh, Honestly, that pink suit has gotten me more interviews and jobs because people remember the pink suit. I mean, really, I should wear that everywhere I go. I get more comments about, I met you at Lydia and It and you were wearing the pink suit. I am telling you it was worth every penny, that okay. pink suit.
0: That is, you know what, I'm going to just like tuck that away. Good nugget. Uh, anybody who's looking <laughs> to book, speaking gigs, wear a pink yes. suit. And a great haircut because you have a great haircut. There we go. There we go. Um, there we go. So that was kind of my first introduction to Carrie. And then fast forward a few years I meet a friend online, as we do. Um, Her name was Jen Jones. And Mm -hmm. sometime in her story, she was sharing this picture of Carrie. And I was like, I love Carrie. She's great. She's like, Carrie's my best friend. And I was like, no way. And so that was a cool (laughs) connection. And then I'm chatting with another friend, a local friend. We're talking about this retreat we want to put on. And she's like, you know who we should get to speak Carrie Scott Garcia. I was like, no way. You know her too? How do you know? And she's like, we've been praying together on Zoom. I was like, what in the actual world? Um, Right. And I just want to share that story because I love how God just, he connects us with people in so Mm -hmm. many cool ways. Um, My dad Mm -hmm. calls them the divine appointments and they're happening online all the time. And so as I have heard Carrie speak, gotten to know her a little bit online. Just a little plug for her on Instagram. She's just a really fun, funny follow, but also shares such good content. Um, So I've Mm. loved getting to know her. We have all these fun connections. And I'm so excited to hear more of your story and what you're doing today.
1: Yes, love that. I just love that that um, leading and loving it was 2018. And here we are in 2022. I just think for so many of you sitting there thinking that like, you know, when is it going to be my chance? When am I going to get out there? Like, what do I need to do? Man, you just have no idea what God is orchestrating and, you know, it might take years, but you just keep going in the direction of where the the, the very next step, don't worry about what everybody's doing from your left to your right, but like, just keep going. Be like, you just don't know what God's doing and how he's orchestrating so many relationships. And here I am. And you're in Canada. It's not like, you know, we live in the state next to each other, you know? So it's like, God, God is a national God. He is a global God. He is a universe God. Like he's just doing it all. And so, I don't know, that's just kind of striking me as like, gosh, that 2018 pink suit is bringing me all the way to 2022 with you. It's just cool. That's That kind of stuff's yeah. cool. So I anyway, that's a side yeah. note. So what do we want to know about me? Is yeah. that what we're asking? Well, I I love that's- what you just shared,
0: because I think that that's very true. Just being able to, uh, I often call them just these God nudges, the the little idea that mm-hmm. God has. Um, and for me to go, to, even to go to that conference at the time, I was writing for something called Mom Mentor, which a woman named Sabrina Schlesinger had started.
1: And yeah, super good she friends was going to be
0: there. And so I was mm-hmm. like, you know what? I'd love to meet some of these other women who are writing uh, for Mom Mentor. And so this for me, again, being from Canada, we don't have a big conference culture. um, I flew Mm -hmm. down and I was going to go by myself to Vegas. And um, I was like, is anyone going to come with me? My mom came with me, which was very sweet. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: I felt so nervous to be there. I didn't have any kind of official leadership title. What am I doing at this
1: Mm. leading
0: and loving it conference? Yeah, right. I felt like God said, you need to go be there. And I have met mm. so many people who were there. Uh, I was sharing with Carrie that another woman I've had on um, the podcast, I think probably two years ago now, or maybe it was a year ago, uh, a woman named Brandy Wilson. I heard her speak there. And so there's just really cool things that God will do mm. in, you'll see it in hindsight, right? If we have mm-hmm. eyes to see the things that he is doing. Right. So I love that you shared that. And yeah, I just want to hear your story. So
1: I just, um, I, I can't go on. I got (laughs) to tell you, I got to tell you what's on my head because you said something that I think is so profound and I want to pause because I think the people on here so sit in that narrative that says, what am I doing here? I'm not a leader, right? What am I doing here? I'm not a leader. And gosh, like I always ask people, do you love anybody? And, you know, everyone's like, raise their hand. Yeah, I love somebody. Because I believe if you love, then you lead, period. If you love people, if you love someone, you're leading and have influence. And I think that title leader has has kept so many men and women outside of stepping into their calling because it's leadership is attached to a title and it's not, not in the kingdom of God. And so it's so interesting to me that, that you here here you are leading, like you're, you're writing for mom mentor. You are mentoring to your own children. You are helping other women online, offline. And yet that narrative, right? Like I'm not a leader. And it's like press into that question of like, well, what makes a leader? What, what does it mean? Surely a title cannot mean leader because even Jesus walked away from, from rabbi. Like he just, he was like, I am sitting with all the people. And so I don't know, that's such an, that's such an interesting question, which does tie to my story for sure. um, Because I'm a reluctant leader. Um, And, and yet, man, I think if we could start to sit in that question, around what does it mean to lead and what does it mean to thrive? Because thriving is really stepping into the fullness of our calling, stepping out of survival and into thriving. And that means that in some fashion, we are gonna step into leadership. There is no way to step into your calling and to, to step into the fullness of your story without stepping into leadership. But that comes down to saying, well, then you have to define what leadership is. You have to define that for yourself because 90% Ninety percent of us will take ourselves out of the game because that definition has been skewed, yeah, right? Yeah, do you
0: think? So true. Well, even our mutual friend that we have, um, our friend Anne, she is a leader across Canada. She's really known across Canada and has just stepped into a new role um, in the Canadian Church Leaders Network. Like, and I remember hearing her speak a few years ago when she said, like she struggled to embrace that term and say, I am a leader. And it's funny, the um, phrases that we don't even know Mm -hmm. that we would struggle with until somebody says, like, could you say, I am a writer, I am a speaker, whatever the thing might be. And Mm -hmm. often we're looking for the validation in a title or in someone else. Mm -hmm. And that's again, going back to the purpose where we can wait forever for somebody to give us our purpose in the package of a job, a title, whatever it is. But God's mm-hmm. like, no, I've called you. I've invited you step into mm-hmm. this regardless of, um, waiting for man to affirm you or to get a paycheck from mm-hmm. it or whatever it might look like.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's everything you're saying. I just spoke with a bunch of teenagers and they, and they had me come in to talk about calling And really calling like is identified around two things, you know, it's discipleship and vocation and vocation is this like Latin word. And it means for God's voice to come. It's the, there's a root word, which is vocal vocation. And it means literally in Latin means the calling. And, and here's what is so interesting about culture. And even for me is that we get calling vocation, very confused with vehicle. And, and the vocation is this calling. It's like, it's not a mission because God has a mission. We don't have a mission. We're here to follow God's mission, but it is this unique call that has come usually from the particularities of our pain, produce the particularities of our calling, because we look around the world and we go, I don't want that to happen to anybody else. God's redeemed my story in that area. And so something begins to rise up in me and I go, man, that's what I want to help change on the land. That's vocation. The problem is, is that we are taught to put identity in and our worth in our vehicle. So I'm currently a pastor at the Hope Collective. I am the CEO of a, of a movement called Freedom Movement. Hey, those vehicles are here right now, but they could easily in a moment's notice go away. If my identity and my calling per se, I use quotes, is In the vehicle, I will be shattered when it leaves. But it doesn't matter if freedom movement's here, 10 years from now, 10 days from now, my calling will not change. In fact, it will get more and more focused based on the continued redemption of my story. And the more and more thematic my story is, which I have a theme around my voice and around kind of the things that I've been heard in, God has moved me into this holy discontent that says, I don't wanna see that happen on the land. So really what you're saying is if a leader is defined by vehicle, then yeah, we come and go with leader titles all the time. But if leader is defined by calling, then no one can take that from us. That is inherently, it is developed within us, both by God and through our story. so
0: good. Well, even as you were talking, I was thinking about um, my old, I have three girls, five, seven, and 10, and my oldest is such a, I mean, she's such a natural oldest, where she's such a leader, Mm -hmm. um, but she often will say things to her sisters like, I'm going to give you some tips here. I'm going to give you some advice. I don't want you to make the same mistakes I made. And so she does it so naturally. And I think, Mm -hmm. again, we can learn so much from kids because they do so many things naturally that later Mm -hmm. on we're told, oh, no, 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 you have to be, you need some certification to do that. You need whatever it looks like. Um, But it's like, no, 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 you can actually live this out. And one of the things I've said to her is, you're a leader to your sisters. Like you mm-hmm. are leading the way. Yep. And so as parents, we know that can be great, or you can really, you know, take them down the path, but, uh, right,
1: just needs to be tempered. That's totally. all.
0: Well, I want to, let's mm-hmm. start with your story and kind of take me back mm-hmm. to, um, the beginning carry and kind of what you have walked through in your life.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is a, such a loaded question at 47 years old, but, um, Just kind of the cliff notes is that I'm a pastor's kid, grew up as a pastor's kid. Um, Mom struggled uh, with a really severe eating disorder from the time she was 13 um, until she was 51, where she ended up taking her life. Uh, She struggled severely with mental illness, um, but you would not know that. On the outside, we were very put together, very, uh, we were great performers, um, showing up to church, playing the role. Um, For me, uh, this always was problematic because I am kind of what you would I'm more of like those truth tellers. Like I see it. I need to say it, that kind of profit nature, if you will. And so for me, I was constantly calling out the discrepancy in our home. And if you want to keep secrets, someone who's calling out discrepancy is not really welcomed. Um, even though they would never kick me out or anything, there is a, there is a, a sense that you get as children. Like I, I am not supposed to say these things and it's not welcomed. Um, and so for me, those discrepancies, uh, showing up to church, but then coming home and being in the most angry home that you could be in, even though no one ever said a word, mom being upstairs, dad going off and helping everyone get better while we were on fire uh, really just was too chaotic for me to really, really sit in. And, um, and so I just wanted to numb it for me. I wanted to be popular and I wanted to not feel what I was experiencing. Now, I didn't really know the second one. I did know the first one popularity drew me. I wanted to belong. I wanted to be seen as worthy and good and valuable. Um, that's still a part of me. And yet it's been tempered through the love of Christ, but So that just drew me into addiction. I was uh, addicted to meth for almost 10 years of my life. Uh, and then I got off of drugs and like any good Christian, I went into ministry because ministry will save you. Uh, ministry will be the thing that rescues you. Right. Uh, and the problem was I was really good at ministry because that's what I saw. So I knew how to perform. I knew how to show up. I was leading youth ministry. I was, you know, starting with a book deal at that time, a clothing line with you specialties, doing all this stuff because I was a recovering addict. And, um, The problem was, was that we didn't deal with why I did drugs in the first place. What we did was as a church, and I think I see this a lot in the church, we really focused on behavior modification, not so much heart transformation. So change your behavior, change your life. Um, And I just don't think that's true. Um, I think you change your behavior. You then put in a place of what was, you were addicted to here. Uh, then you change your behavior and you just move to a different addiction. Um, and that just means we are idol worshiping something. And so, uh, for me, ministry became addiction. It was like, I, I want to, I want to feed this this sense of instant gratification. I'm being praised for the gifts that I have that I think are God given is my communication. I'm moving the room and stirring them to action mostly through emotional manipulation. Um, And because I can't actually take people farther than I'm willing to go myself. So if all I know is behavior modification, then that's all I can really offer. Um, And that is all I offered. Now. I loved Jesus. So hear this clearly. I accepted Jesus when I was four. I loved Jesus, but I was on a journey of understanding that Jesus cared more about my heart than he did about my behavior. And I did not have, I didn't have a, I didn't have a space for that. I didn't understand that, um, which, you know, long story short moved me into, Uh, Broken down marriage, um, really stepped outside of some things that uh, I I wish I would have never have done. Never thought I would have in a million years, Um, but brokenness will without uh, tending will drive you to do some really gnarly things, Um, and that brought me to a stop sign where I was ready to have my life uh, be ending. I just didn't want to live anymore. Um, If the bus could come and hit at a certain velocity. This could all be over. Um, And that was a huge pivotal moment for me. That is where I really, I had encountered God in the supernatural in a few ways because doing drugs really opens you up to supernatural. And I actually had Jesus in me. So I got to see a lot of really gnarly, gnarly things when I was doing drugs, but to have a supernatural experience where God actually spoke and people can give me theology all they want. Um, I know what I heard and I know what happened in that car. Um, And that was a moment that was like, I've seen everything you've ever done. You've lost your ministry. At that point, I wasn't even speaking to my parents. I had lost my marriage. Everything was done. I was all but stamped disqualified. And the voice just said, I've seen everything you've ever done. And I actually really love you. And if you turn this car around, it's going to be a journey, but you will heal. And I didn't have a lot of faith. I wish I could say that I did. It was like I'll give you one more try. Like I, I, I will try. I didn't even know what that meant. Really. I didn't know. I didn't know what that meant relationship with Jesus, but I didn't know what that meant. I do now. So I turned the car around and here we are, um, lots of therapy, lots of intense trauma work. And the thing that started to really solidify my, the roots of my healing was when I allowed the, the stories the stories when I was little to come to the surface so that I could start naming some of those early days where the enemy started to latch on and whisper things like, you are too much for this room. You are too loud. You actually aren't wanted here. And if you show your true self, people will leave you. And I had some data to back that up. So he would latch on to the data, like my mom, she died. She took her life. Was I not worthy enough, loved enough for her to stay alive. So don't you think he latches on that? And a lot of it was around my mouth and my voice. And so really doing some of that deeper story work, um, I was able to renounce some agreements with the enemy and also just begin to allow my trauma to be healed. And now I become very passionate about holding stories and teaching people how to sit with people without trying to fix them. Cause Jesus does a good job at that without bypassing them with just a scripture and a prayer without hearing them. I love scripture and I love prayers, um, but not at the sake of not hearing a human. And so I teach people, it is my calling to teach people how to hold a heart because my heart was held and I wish there would have been people to hold my mom's. So that's, that's me. That's a nutshell.
0: Wow. That's, it's a, that's a big nutshell. Um, and there's so much that, um, I could unpack there and there's so much that I find, I mean, our store, our stories are so different and yet Mm -hmm. the main theme of them is getting to the root Yes. Instead of managing symptoms. And so I think what you said there about like the focus has been on behavior modification. The focus has been on, you know, heal these symptoms or whatever else. And, you know, whether it's culture of the church or ourselves or whatever it might be, but we are not great at sitting in the pain at, right. um, one of the things that I love to talk about is the fact that when we have an emotional response, an overly emotional response, let's say, mm-hmm. instead of just being like, hey, why'd you, why'd you get so angry with your husband there or so upset? Mm-hmm. It's stopping to ask that question, well, why?
1: Like, what mm-hmm. is it
0: actually pointing to? Um, mm-hmm. And that sitting with Jesus and saying like, hey, mm-hmm. what's really going on in here? And so mm-hmm. um, having that place of, healing deep soul mm-hmm. healing um that's where i think there is this freedom and so mm-hmm. for me having grown up in a christian home um our home life very different than yours like a um things went like very well in many areas i mean we had, there was lots mm-hmm. of issues in other areas too but um but it's it was shocking to me to be at I think it was 36, have experiencing postpartum depression, um, having a prayer time with my husband where I um, we sat together and he really led me through a, this night of confession and just mm. getting things out um, to the surface where um, it was Valentine's Day, not your most romantic Valentine's Day. Um, but what it was, was kind of going down into some of those things mm-hmm. and the freedom I felt after that. Um, and then really it was another year of Jesus saying, Hey, like the mm-hmm. like, things coming to the surface, um, mm-hmm. and dealing with those things. And I remember being like, Oh, this is what freedom feels like. Mm-hmm. And, um, yet I'd been a Christian for my whole life mm-hmm. and I'd had my, my own rebellious times and things like that. So, I guess I just want to ask you, because I found this to be a very, very difficult question to answer. And you have mm-hmm. walked various people through this, as well as your own experience. Mm-hmm. What, what mm-hmm. does freedom feel like, look like? Mm-hmm. What is the, um, like the other side of this work? Like, what is kind of waiting mm-hmm. for people?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a great question, because I think what people want is that freedom is the absence of pain. And that's just not the definition. Freedom is the presence of God in our pain. And and to understand that we are going to suffer, that is the human narrative, that is the human experience. Freedom looks like I actually can name my suffering. I can name my heartache. I can actually bring it to the Lord, not give it to the Lord but bring it to the Lord to invite him into it. And I have a comforter. I have someone that will sit with me and they will hold space with me and tend to my heart. You know, when people go, you know, you just need to trust God with that, you know, or like he's working that for good. Maybe on this side of heaven, maybe not. I mean, really, honestly, like, it's not that God's not good. And and I know that people are going to get ruffled by this, but think about it in the context of you have a husband and a wife and the wife gets terminal cancer and she ends up dying. And you go, what was good about that? Like what was good? And of course, God is going, you know, God can use it as a testimony or whatever. That's not what he's talking about. Like he's talking about his presence with you, that in the midst of us coming back to our humanity, which is who we were created in the garden. We were created human, not angelic arrived beings. We were created without sin, but still human. That to come back to our humanity is to name our need for God in the midst of our suffering. So, freedom is not the absence of pain, freedom is not arrival. No one has arrived here no one, no one, no one, no one. I will not arrive until I am in heaven. And to be honest with you, even then begins the journey of what it means to worship God in his presence. So physical presence. So I don't, I don't know what a rival means, but I know it trips us up because we think as Christians, we should be free of this. We shouldn't have this. So I have depression. I struggle with depression. I have chemical imbalance in my brain. I have to take medication for it. I tried for years not to have to do that. Oh, bless my sweet little heart. Like I just thought I had to be better, read more scripture, pray. I have a chemical imbalance in my brain. Does this mean that I'm not free? Of course not. That doesn't mean that it means that I'm allowing myself to come to my humanity and allow that humanity be tended to so that my depression doesn't have those moments of depression or that moment of those chemical imbalance when they're raising up that I actually have tools to access Jesus so that he can comfort and tend to me and know that, ah, this is a moment Where I am experiencing my humanity in its fullness, meeting the deity of Christ right here on earth. That is freedom. And that is when heaven comes to earth, where our humanity meets the deity of Christ right in the presence, especially in your suffering.
0: That's so good. And I love that you shared that it's not about this arrival, because I think there is Mm -hmm. um, such disappointment in Mm -hmm. the, what is wrong with me? Why can I not get there? It doesn't mean, like you said, um, sitting in that car, that there wasn't going to be work ahead, right? It doesn't mean that there isn't. And so I think that's what I have felt has been this balance of um, Jesus does the work, right? Like he's the one doing the heavy Mm -hmm. lifting. Um, But what is my part in it? What am I needing to really turn and face? Um, And I've talked Mm -hmm. about on the podcast a little bit over the last two years, um, my husband and my journey of, really turning to face our finances and getting out of debt and we for a long time we were just and for a variety of reasons we got in that place and we were juggling things but it was in the turning to face it that it was like oh Mm -hmm. this is very painful but now we're able actually to walk toward walk through that into freedom Mm -hmm. and so I think Mm -hmm. that really is um that is a big part of it and I this past year, I've found to be very difficult. And part of that was mm-hmm. um, having a miscarriage a year ago. And, you know, when you're talking earlier about having those lies and the things the enemy really tries mm-hmm. to attach to, you um, I heard I was at if gathering a few months ago and Sadie Robertson did this awesome talk talking about like truth versus lies. And I was like, I know all about that. Like I, I share about that. Mm -hmm. Um, but she was saying, you know, the enemy loves to play two truths and a lie. And the way she shared it, something really clicked in me. And it was like, okay, Jacqueline did God, like really he was the one who, um, began to stir my heart to have this fourth child. So it's like, did God ask you to have another baby? Yes, truth. Did did you have a miscarriage? Did that baby die? Yes, truth. So all of the other promises God has like put in your heart, those are also going to die. True Oh no, no, that's that's false. But it was the mm. like, what is the thing that you're holding on to? And so um as I have struggled with that pain and that disappointment yes. um this year, I had a moment not that long ago where I was sitting with God. And and I was just creating that space for quiet, listening to his voice. What are you saying here? And he just said, "Give me your disappointment, like mm-hmm. give me and kind of what you were saying before. Just that, like I, you know, I've been, I really have been holding on to it. I really mm-hmm. have been trying to fix it. I really have been, mm-hmm. um, and so just in that place that he. Um nothing changed circumstantially. Right. There was nothing but everything but changed. Everything changed. There was some, there was like this exchange mm-hmm. um, of okay, I I am not carrying this. I am releasing this to you. You are you are flooding me with peace and healing. And you're going down into mm-hmm. those broken and hurting and like hard places. Um, And I think that's really one of the beautiful things about his invitation to heal those places that we have either ignored because it felt like that seems painful. I don't actually know what's going to happen down there. Or we felt shame. I actually would rather not go look there because I feel very ashamed about that thing. Or there are even places in our life that we are... Kind of unaware of because they again they may be something from childhood. So, um, what would you say about what it looks like to kind of turn to face some of those places?
1: Mm -hmm. Well, one, if you're feeling a lot of resistance and fear, there's probably a reason why. Um, And it's not because you're going to drown in it, there's probably a resistance in the spiritual realm that's keeping you from anytime you're close when you name the truth, we know this, the truth sets us free, right? But we actually have to name the truth. Okay. So it's not just the truth of God's word. It's the truth of our experience too. We have to bring that to light so that what is in darkness can come to light. So if you're feeling a resistance in that, um, pray for courage, the courage, the courageous acts to love who you were created to be is a journey and to turn and go, all right, what is one thing that I need, that I like a memory or a circumstance, whether current or in the past, that I am just holding on to, that I need to start bringing to the surface. So, the first thing I would say is you got to get honest. We are incredible liars. We lie to ourselves constantly. I don't have a story. It's not that big of a deal. Or we drown in the story and think there's no way out. And Jesus is far away and friendships are far away. And these just aren't the truth. And so we, we have to get honest and by getting honest is saying, I've either been keeping this from you or I've been ignoring it, but I know it's here and I need to name for some of you, you're angry at God and you need to allow yourself to be angry at God and talk to him just like Elijah did in first Kings chapter 19, like you've got to allow yourself to bring the honesty of that. Jesus knows. (laughs) <laughs> so if you're at a level 10 anger and you bring it at a level 2, you want death con 5 but you're like, well, it's just I'm a little miffed. It's not honest. So we can't get anywhere for not honest. That's number 1. So you've got to name it. Secondly, there's an invitation. Yes, God's inviting you, but he's a gentleman and he will not come where he's not asked. So you got to knock and the door opens. You got to seek and you find. There is an invitation that says, God, I want you to come into this and until you are ready to take it from me, I want you. I need you here. I need comfort. I need validation. I need your presence. I need you to sit with me here and I'm not going to ignore it or dwell on it longer than you're asking me to, but I am here. So the second one is invitation. And the third one, you were not made to do this alone. I think there's something powerful. You said, Jacqueline, when you sat with your husband, the curious, the curiosity in me was like, I wonder what made that moment so powerful. It was, you know, God was there, but what else? Like, why was that such a profound? It's not like you've never had a moment with God before. It's not like you've never had hard things and gone to God before. What made that moment so like, like it's pivotal for you. That's why you are bringing the story up. It's a, it's a marked moment for you. And so I'm curious, what was it about that moment that made it so divinely pivotal? Um, I'm curious. So
0: it was um, really a, well. First of all, desperation uh, led mm-hmm. to that moment because I was in this place of postpartum depression. And,
1: so naming yeah, it,
0: and um, and it was like he had been asking me like, "Do you want to pray?" And I was like, "No, I do not." Um, so it was mm-hmm. confession in a safe. Space where there was no judgment, mm-hmm. um, and he mm-hmm. said to me, "I want you to imagine there's like a dump truck here, and mm-hmm. anything that comes to mind, as silly as it seems, as far back as it seems, as hard as it seems, we're gonna throw it on the dump truck. Jesus is gonna take that mm-hmm. away, but we're just gonna mm-hmm. like get it out." And so again, I say it was Valentine's Day, and I'm sharing things from my past that I'm like, I don't really want to be sharing this with my husband on Valentine's Day, and we we've been very honest. Um, we'd probably sure. been married at this point for 14. No, that can't be right. Um, let's mm-hmm. not try to do math right now. But um, <laughs> a, a while. while. And, and we, you know, we've been very honest. And interestingly, probably one of the most significant things was confessing, again, out loud, confessing out loud, mm-hmm. um, the bitterness I felt towards him. And his job, mm-hmm. because he had been, we had three kids, he'd been away all the time. And I felt so much resentment. Mm-hmm. And so this bitterness mm-hmm. had been growing in me. And so it was the mm-hmm. confession of that mm-hmm. and just really everything gross that was like, you don't want to tell mm-hmm. anybody your, um, mm-hmm. the grossest parts of the things that are inside of you, the things that you're like, well, you know how you have those, like go on a gra- the grave with that one. Um, mm-hmm. and so anything that came So up,
1: why did you? Why did you say all of those things? Uh,
0: Really, it was, I mean, it was his invitation um, to, Mm -hmm. he had been, he had had his own um, really time of healing prayer and Mm -hmm. experience some of his own training in that. And so he was like, Mm -hmm. I've been leading other people through this. Um, I'd love to lead you. And it's funny because we often don't, we don't really want to hear from the people who are closest to us. Um, And so that was, there was a palpable shift, a physical shift in me. And I remember being like, well, we'll see how I feel the next day. Um, mm-hmm. And I still felt this lightness. Uh, mm-hmm. And so for me, that that has become pivotal in terms of regular times of confession. Now, it doesn't mean it's always mm-hmm. with my husband. Uh, it might it often is, you know, me and God. Like I, I think about Psalm 51 mm-hmm. where David is like, crying out to God. And I think really that is where our ultimate confession happens, but there is something about having a safe space with another person.
1: Yeah. And that's what I was trying to get to is really, I mean, the Bible talks about confessor sins one to another. It's not so that we can be judged. I think you, you named some components there that I really want people to hear and break down one. You named what was going on and you also had an environment in which you could name it. That was not what felt safe there, there wasn't judgment. And there was like, Hey, I, my hands are big and you're carrying this all on your own. And my hands are big. And as you began to confess, which is really confession is invitation. So confession is saying I'm saying this so that you that you can come closer. Confession allows for intimacy to be restored. So now I'm confessing not only to God but to my husband in a way that allows intimacy his closeness his physical body to be able to come closer because the atmosphere has been uh, has been uh, changed it's safe. And that the third component of that is you have to have someone God has created us relationally. And so he looked down at the garden and said, it's not good for Adam to just be hanging out with me. He's actually going to need someone else. And ultimately, yes, we can go to God, but that is not the fullness of the triune experience of our humanity. Jesus, Holy Spirit, God, we're never alone. Neither are we. That, that moment is so pivotal for you because the three components of transformation were there. I am naming what is true, even if it's ugly. I am inviting God in through confession. And then I am letting another believer hold it with me and name for me, not to fix me, not to judge me, but to say, I don't know how to fix you. I'm just so glad you told me. I'm just so glad I've created a space for you to be able to share it. And then something begins to happen. What was in darkness that was rolling around these stories that are rolling around in your mind that are becoming so big and so overwhelming that are taking your breath away, your sleep away, your life away now have come to the light. And not only are they coming to the light in the presence of God, but they're coming into the light, into the presence of another human that can say, I see you and I love you. That is very healing and very powerful. And honestly, your husband did a great job because not too many people will do that. They don't like how it makes them feel when you're upset. So they want to bypass you. They want to minimize you. They they want to say, it's not that big of a deal. God's working it out for good. You know what? Fine. I don't want to hear that right now. What I want to hear is I see you. I validate you. That is, you are heartbroken because you lost your child. I can't make sense of that. I don't know how, but what I can do is sit here and say, I am heartbroken. What has it been like for you to carry that? What was it like for you that day? Tell me more because my hands are big. And although I cannot take it from you, gosh, I can hold it with you. That's the kingdom of God. And that's freedom. That's
0: so good. Um, one of the things I have been thinking about in this process uh, as I have even walked with women um, in looking back at, you know, where have, I've just referred to it as where, where have seeds been planted by ourselves, by others, by the enemy. And there often can be these things we think of in childhood. And so interestingly, a few weeks ago, we're sitting at the dinner table and we've done this kind of once a week thing with our kids where we're, doing a little like, it's really just a verse. We're reading a verse, we're discussing it, mm-hmm. we're having a treat. And we're kind of lingering around the table. And all of a sudden one daughter says, I don't even know what prompted it, but she blurts out, um, you, I think you like her the most. Like you like her the most. Mm. another daughter says, well, she, I think you think she she's prettier than me or something like that. And I was like, oh, mm. you guys have just, I was so thankful you have just brought it out to the light. These are things that are going on Mm -hmm. inside and now we can begin to listen. Why? Like where, where did this come Mm -hmm. from? Even my one daughter yesterday was sitting with her and she mentioned again, something about, um, I'm not pretty, I'm not pretty. Mm -hmm. And I just said, Mm -hmm. "Where? like, do you know where that's coming from? And I just Mm -hmm. said, you know, you can pray for a moment. Just ask Jesus. Like, is there a picture Mm -hmm. that comes to mind? Is there a moment? Is there something where Mm -hmm. you started to believe that? Um, and so I just said, what does it look like to even replace that? Like you brought it out. How can we replace that mm-hmm. with the truth? What are the things you can begin mm-hmm. to say and speak life over yourself? And so I think that's also a very mm-hmm. simple practice. Sometimes we have these things that don't feel like a big deal, um, yet mm-hmm. they can become, again, the seed of something that becomes much bigger later on. So mm-hmm. I love you yes. know being able, like you said, bringing those things into the light. I just want to Mm. do a quick recap because I loved what you shared. You said, get honest, Mm -hmm. um, inviting him in and Mm -hmm. the
1: community sharing with a friend. We actually know this through our brain, that trauma moments, embedded trauma begins to be a trauma event, no longer embedded when we can grieve and share, we actually start to see the brain neurologically where our hippocampus and our amygdala, which is too much for this podcast, but it actually begins to come back together, which is your regulating system. It's your gas pedal and your brake pedal. And they actually need to work together like really good friends. Um, but in trauma, they disconnect. We actually see when this Bible speaks to it. So it's, it's always been biblical, but neuroscience, thank goodness is catching up and showing Jesus knew how we were wired and he knew that we actually, what was broken in community will heal in community and that we know through so much research. And so you cannot stop with just naming and confession and invitation without that third component of community you will actually attach to whatever you put in front of you. And most of the time that is not going to be Jesus. And that is not going to be, um, connection with others. It will be isolation because that's how the enemy works. And so I just want to encourage you that those three things are vital and you can, and it doesn't mean you have to share with everybody. In fact, don't share with everybody. That does not mean you share on social media. Don't share on social media. That might be a counselor That might mean your husband, that might be your best friend. And it might not be all these big and heavy things. And I'm not saying every single thing in your life has to be shared, but those trauma embedded things, you know, when you go through a trauma event, trauma needs care and comfort for it to not get embedded. So that means we need to receive care and comfort from someone that has skin just like us.
0: That's so good. Carrie, I wish we could keep going forever. And I'm sure we could. Um, but I want you just to share a little bit about what you are currently, uh, doing. And even if somebody has been listening and they're like, ah, I'd love to work with Carrie somehow. Um, so how mm-hmm. could people connect with you and what are the things you're doing right now?
1: Yeah. I mean, obviously you can, social media is Carrie Scott Garcia. You can go to garcia.com and see all the things that I'm doing. I am the um, founder of Freedom Movement and that's where the hub of all my work comes out of. But right now, currently I do a thing called Freedom Academy. It's a three-day intensive and this is the work we do. We kind of 50% personal development, 50% leadership development. And remember, if you love, you lead. It's really teaching you about what we just talked about. How do I sit in someone's story? where is my story keeping me stuck? Where's the limiting beliefs coming from? What's going on in my brain and what's going on scripture in, in the spirit realm and scripturally? So we take that in three days and we really walk you through it. And man, let me tell you, we give you actual hand-holding tools on how to sit with people. You get to practice it. You don't have to bring any of your childhood stories. We're not doing any of that business, but we are teaching you how to sit, how to ask good questions that provoke reflection. So the Holy spirit can do transformation. We help you learn how to listen, how to speak, to your teens and your kids and your spouse and those people that you love in the marketplace and in your ministry. And so that is all over the nation. We have have one coming up in April. I don't know when this thing will air, but April. And then if if this airs after that, then there's so many times that um, other people host them um, in different various places around the nation. But that's currently that's my baby right there is Freedom Academy. And here in the next couple of months, we'll be moving on to a full licensing and certificate program where there'll be four installments. So you can actually become a freedom coach and do what I do. So that's what we're doing. Freedom Academy, baby. You can go to garcia.com to check it out. That's so awesome.
0: Hopefully we can say coming to Canada soon. Um, Ooh,
1: I would love, I, I am trying my hardest. You know it. Me yeah. and Anne have like searched the heavens for this to happen. Then I'm DMing yeah. you. I'm like, Jesus is in Canada and I want to be there. We're
0: going to make it happen. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for sharing your story and just so much wisdom. I think this is one people are going to want to send to a friend uh, and maybe even listen again. Just um, pause Mm. where you heard Carrie say something that, you know, you maybe kind of had a little quickening in your spirit and just to pause Mm. and say, hey, God, is there something you want to say to me about that?
1: um so cuz
0: I know I felt it while I was listening and I can't wait to listen back. So thank you Carrie and mm, all the of best. Of course, what an uh, honor. I trust this episode has helped you move one step closer to thriving. Can I just say thank you for listening? This space has been incredibly encouraging for me this past year and as I am being deeply encouraged by these conversations, I trust you are as well. And I'm not going to ask you to rate the show or subscribe But I am going to ask if, while you were listening today, a friend popped into your mind and you thought, hmm, I think they could use this encouragement. Can I ask you to share this episode with them, with one person? When I listen to podcasts on my phone, there are three little dots at the bottom right, and I click there to share. Also, can I say sometimes I don't share with others, as I'm worried about what they'll think of me if they think I'm bugging them by sharing something. But when someone shares something with me, I am never bothered. Often it is the exact thing I needed to hear. So if someone popped into your mind, click those three little dots and share this encouraging conversation with them. And thank you for listening to Ready to Thrive.